Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your Day, the day when life begins. 
salvation has come and he is here. Have no fear. Salvation has come and he is here. Have no Jesus, 
please pray with me? Dear Lord, we are humbled this morning at the thought that you gave up your life for us. We hear it all the time, but I don't think we truly think about what that means to purposefully sacrifice for another. We thank you that in all of our times of burdens, whatever they may be, that you offer forgiveness and love, compassion, hope, joy. We thank you this morning for being an awesome God and meeting us where we are, loving us just the same. We bring all of our needs to you this morning, and we praise you and celebrate everything you've done in our lives. Lord's name we pray. Amen. Stir our affections to love you more. Turn our attentions from this empty world. Help us count all things for your name lost. That we may know you more and the glory of the cross. Come change our hearts. Come change our hearts, come change our hearts, come change our hearts, may we believe you satisfy more than anything, may we respond to Jesus Christ, reflect.
You may be seated. I'd like to invite the junior church children to come up for a presentation. Hi, my name is Sophia Templeton. I help with the junior church program that meets during the 820 service on Sunday mornings. This year, along with the guidelines from each of Pastor Wes's sermons, we are discovering ways in which God's character can be displayed through us. During the next couple of weeks, we are working on a project that will help us understand ways in which we can show God's love to other people. Last year, we saved our nickels and dimes and raised money to buy school supplies for the refuge children at Jericho Road. This year, our project is still Jericho Road. I will let the junior church members tell you more. Refugees pack up just what they need when they have to leave. Refugees are special people because they came from far away. They come to Buffalo they don't, and they don't have things they need to keep them warm. But we have lots of coats, even extras that we can give away. We will be collecting all sorts of winter clothes for both refugee children and adults. Over the next two weeks, you can bring in your extra coats to give away to people in Buffalo. It gets really cold, Leah. We invite you to join us in donating the following items. Kids winter coats. Kids winter coats. Adult winter coats and dog winter coats. And boots. And scarves. And and mittens and clubs. And hats. We're running out of room on our microphone. Nikki. And blankets. <laughs> All right, so the program that we're working with is called Bundle Up Buffalo, and um, it's through Jericho Road. This is a refu- uh, an organization that works with refugees up in Buffalo. And our children, we worked with a project last year, Sophia was saying, and this year we're super excited um, to give our children the opportunity to really have a hands-on um, time in which they can display God's love. October 11th, so in two Saturday, or three Saturdays from now, so we have two Sundays coming up, September 28th, and I believe October 1st um, is, oh, October 5th, we'll be having a bin in the back of the uh, sanctuary, we'll have a bin up in the youth room, um, there's also a bin in the, Helena Odin is putting one in the campus store, if you have any coats, gloves, hats, blankets, mittens, anything, any sizes, any ages, um, if you could bring them in. That would be great. We, last year, from our understanding, um, the program had a church full of clothes, of coats and blankets, and the doors opened at 8 a.m., and by 10 a.m., they had to start already turning people away because there wasn't enough. Um, so if you have anything, bring it. Our kids are really excited. The best part is, is we're going to head up as a group with our children with their families um, on October 11th and help give away the the coats and blankets and, and things to the families that need them. So um, we're excited to be part of that, and we're glad you guys can help us. Thank you. Now we'll have the ushers come forward to assist us as we give back to God just a portion of all that he has given to us.
where many a dream has died. Like a tree planted by the water, we never will run dry. So living water flowing through, God, we thirst for more of you. Fill our hearts and flood our souls with one desire. Just to know you and to make you known, we lift your name on high. Shine like the sun, may darkness run and hide. We know we were made for so much more than ordinary lives. It's time for us to more than just survive. We were made to thrive. Please stand and sing with us. God who calls us to thrive as his people also invites us to come and to pray, to offer, before, bring before him the burdens and the concerns and the struggles of our lives and the lives of others. And uh, this morning, maybe as you've come to worship, a person, a particular person is especially on your mind and heart. Maybe um, a situation, maybe something going on in the world. And as we pray together, if you would like to come and use the altar as the place where you offer your prayer for yourself, someone else, other situations, please come and join me. Father, we thank you that your plans for us are not mediocrity, not just settling for good enough, 
But your plans, your desires for us are to thrive. To be people of grace and love. To be people who are so engaged with you that we exude the spirit of Christ. We pray, Father, that you will continue to work in us and shape us to be the people you've called us to be. Lord, as we come to this moment of prayer, there are lots of things going on in the world, in the places where we live and work, people we love. We ask for your grace in each circumstance and each situation, each life. We pray today for those who are wrestling with health issues. We think of Bruce Brenneman, Alton Shea. We pray for Matt Bissett and Dick Gould, for Isla Shea, for Bev Rett and Edna Howard. For Linda Roth and Micah Christensen, for Bill Roski, for Crystal Blake, for Emily Crickler, and for the others that are on our minds and hearts and for whom we pray in this moment of silence. Father, we pray not only for ourselves and those connected directly to us, but for the world. Our hearts are broken by what we see in the places where the Ebola virus has been most devastating. We pray for an end, a solution. We pray for healing. We pray for comfort where there is such grief and loss and pain. We think of our brothers and sisters around the world who face opposition and worse. Particularly this morning, we think of the Christians in Iraq who are in need of our prayers as ISIS continues its attack on them. Families are in grave danger. People are losing their lives, even children. We ask, Father, for your healing grace. We ask for an end to the violence. We ask that you would bring in uh, an end to the evil. And we pray that you will help your church, our brothers and sisters. To know the power of the Spirit. To have the courage that they need. And the grace that they need in very difficult circumstances. Father, we pray for the outreach of our own church right here. There are people who have very real needs among us of food, clothing, shelter. Thank you that we have some resources to to be your hands and your feet. And we pray that you will give us wisdom in that, but also just a spirit of compassion and mercy. And may what we do reflect your heart for people who are in need. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your love and mercy that calls us to pray and that assures us that you hear, that you answer in the way that is best. As we continue in worship, may we know your Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our minds, in every part of our being. And we ask all of this through Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our coming King. Amen. This morning's scripture reading is from the book of Acts. Acts 2, 42-47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone is filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. I want to mention to you that uh, we have small groups that are meeting, a lot of them on Sunday nights, but other times of the week as well. And uh, the focus of the groups is uh, follow-up from the Sunday sermons and our time of worship, give a chance to discuss more and more. And I think as we move along in the series and we start talking about a variety of questions, uh, to have the chance to interact with some others, to think through the issues even more, I think will be very important. And so I want to invite you to be a part of that. As we continue in worship, let me invite you to stand, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. I want to ask you a question, and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I like doing that. Um, How many of you have ever had a negative experience with the church? I'm raising my hand because I have, not because just to tell you what to do. All right? A great percentage of us have had a negative experience with the church. That's a problem because our idea of our ideas about God, while they are shaped by a whole lot of things, traumas, the way we were trained, the environment in which we were raised, experiences, the most profound influence on our image of God is the church. God's people. We get an image of God based on what we experience and encounter with people who say they are followers of God. One of the questions that was asked is, you know, last spring I said to you, tell me what you want to hear a sermon about. And one of the questions that was asked, and it came about in a variety of forms, but it was basically this. With all the trouble that the church has, with all the problems and the difficulties in the church, why would anyone want to be a part of it? That's a good question. It's a legitimate question. And it's one we ought to think about. Because being a part of the church is, is connected, is, is vital to being a follower of God. Now let's be honest, the church is not perfect. And that's a big part of why we have negative experiences. And you know why it's not perfect, right? It's because you and I are a part of it. All right, let's let's just put it out there on the table, right? Anything that has human beings a part of it is going to be imperfect. Because as wonderful as you are, you're not perfect. As wonderful as I may be, I'm not perfect. I started to burst that bubble, but I'm not. And when we come together as the church, we are imperfect people, and therefore we are not perfect as the church. But we set a high standard. People set a high standard for us. And they're continually disappointed and disillusioned. And we wonder, what do we do about it? Because if our behavior has something to do with how people see God, it's a serious thing. And while we, were nev- we will never be perfect, God has called the church, us, To be holy. 
to be different. We talked last week about how the one thing that sets God apart from us is that he is other than us. He is perfect. He is holy. Everything God thinks, everything God does is perfect. We have no concept of that. But the perfection of God doesn't mean he abandons us and that he is distant from us. It actually draws him to us. And we talked about how he, he is perfect in love and he's perfect in power and he is perfect in grace and he is with us. And he likes us. He likes being around us, despite the fact that we are nothing like him in terms of perfection. And in that same way, as the opposite of God's holiness is to treat God as common, in a sense, this is what God is asking of the church. That we be something other than common. That we look something different than the rest of the world and all the gatherings and the groups and the organizations that are a part of the world outside the church. Something about us should be different. Something about us ought to mark us as followers of Christ. It sets us apart. Right away, I suspect that some of you are thinking, well, I think the church is great and it's fine for some people. And, you know, and I may come here, but I don't really feel connected to the church. Some of you are here as students. And you're thinking, I'm just here. I come to worship. I'm not really connected to the church. But even when you may go home, you're not really connected to the church. The church is something I can take it or leave it. And I know that's a common mindset. It's, and it's not just new. It's sets a mindset that's been going on for a long time. And we use the excuse the church isn't perfect. You look back into the Gospels. And in a sense, the church of the, new, of the early days of the Gospels is, is, is the Jewish faith. What goes on in the temple, the synagogue. It is far from perfect. And yet, where do we find Jesus continually? In the temple. In the synagogue, connecting with people, followers of God. And in fact, despite the fact that those very followers, the very people that he's connecting with that's so corrupt, are the people that put him on the cross, Jesus says it is imperative to be a part of what God is doing among the people. And hopefully the church is better than that. But the script, when we read the scriptures, we find that the church is an integral part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I have come to the conclusion as I live forward in my life. And I went through a period of time where I was nebulous at best about the church. You know, take it, leave it, whatever. But I've come to see that it is virtually impossible outside of extenuating circumstances not to be a part of the church and still be Christian. Fully Christian. We can be a follower of Jesus. But we'll not be fully the people God wants us to be without the church. We say, well, the church is demanding. The church puts, you know, makes me feel accountable. The church makes me want to, you know, calls me to, to act and to do and to be. And, and I just assume I just want to do my own thing. But that's the whole point. We need what the church does for us and what the church offers us and what the, how the church challenges us. We need that to be the people of God we're intended to be because otherwise we will just simply be me and we all know that when it's just me, we can be very self-centered. And God is continually trying to call us out of a life of being self-centered into be a life, to a life of other, being other-centered. And the church is the primary means to help us accomplish that. And this is where we come to this chapter, this section in the book of Acts. And we have this description of the church. The early days of the church, just beginning. And it's a fascinating picture. And one of the things that we see here is there is the spirit of unity in the church. The writer of Acts says that they were together. They had everything in common. They were as one. Now, do you think they were all alike? Do you think they all saw things the same way? No way. I mean, just look at the disciples of Jesus, those 12 apostles. 
You have on one hand, you have Matthew, who's a tax collector, and, and he, he is helping the Roman government take money from the Jews. And you look at the other side of it, and you have some of the disciples who are zealots, and their whole purpose for existence is to overthrow the Roman government. And they're this little group of 12 people following Jesus. And when you get to the wider picture that we find here in Acts chapter 2, you have all kinds of people who think all kinds of different ways about politics and life and religion, and yet it says they're united together. Because the whole is more important than their individual part. It's about the church. This is why Paul writes to the Corinthians and says... Be united to one another. Don't let divisions come between you. Be one. In the last prayer that Jesus prays before he goes to the cross, one of the last things he says is, Father, make them one as we are one. So make the church united in the way that the Father, Son, and Spirit are united in the Trinity. And whatever we do that fights against the unity of the body, we're in essence fighting against the prayer of Jesus. Seems like a bad idea. We're united. We're one. Does that mean we all agree? Of course not. And as we move through these sermons over the next few months, there are going to be a lot of issues that are going to arise, and we are going to have completely different opinions about them. I guarantee you that. And the question with which we will continually be confronted is, are we going to let that divide us? Or are we going to find a way to be united in spite of our differences of opinion? You know, someone said to me recently, we talk about, uh, we, we're just going to agree to disagree. And, and there's something about that motto that we like, we resonate with. And in essence, we're saying, I'm right and you're wrong, we just won't talk about it. We're going to agree to disagree. And this person said, I just don't think that's good enough in the church. Because that still leaves this gap between us. What we ought to be saying is, we may disagree with each other, but that has nothing to do with how much I love you and care for you and want God's best for you. And quite frankly, maybe the reason we disagree is because you figured out something that I haven't learned yet. And I need to learn that from you. And maybe I've figured out something that you haven't learned yet. And you could learn, figure that out from me. And there is a sense of, of unity of spirit. Even though we may disagree. It's integral to be a part of the church. And somehow that idea of being united, loving each other, caring for each other, in the environment of our world right now, where if you disagree with me, you are the enemy. If you see something different than I see it, you're the enemy. In the church, we take a different mindset. Disagreement doesn't divide us. Instead, it helps us to say, maybe we ought to learn from each other. It gives me a reason to to love you, that much more because we don't see it the same way. And of course, taking that mindset, it means sacrifice. It means that we don't always get everything that we want. And that's hard. We like getting what we want, right? I like getting what I want. When I'm in a a discussion with someone, I want them to see things the way I see it. I don't want to sacrifice anything about how I see it. I don't want to give up anything. One of the characteristics of the church is sacrifice. Why? Because it's one of the characteristics of Jesus. The whole, Jesus comes and he, he sacrifices his life for us. He gives of himself for us. How many times do you think, just in the times recorded in the Gospels, could Jesus have blown someone away because they disagreed with him? Instead, he sacrifices. Ultimately, on the cross, Jesus sacrifices And you and I are called to sacrifice in every possible way. And instead of thinking, how can I get this person to give to me? We are continually thinking, how can I give of myself to them? How do we keep giving away? Sacrificing. I'm fascinated that Paul writes to the Colossians. 
Right off the bat in chapter 1, he says, I rejoice, I celebrate in the fact that I am able to suffer for your sake. Now, I don't like suffering for my own sake. Much less somebody else's sake. And yet here's Paul who writes this from a, probably from a, a dungeon, chains on his wrists and his ankles. It stinks. And he says, I am so excited that I have the opportunity to sacrifice so that you don't have to. Wow. That kind of mindset will cause people outside the church to take notice. And maybe to say, that's a completely different picture. I've never thought of that before. Maybe I ought to pay a little more attention to this group, to these Christians. It's a fascinating account in uh, Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to do so. It's about the, it's the prodigal son's parable. And he makes some observations that I'd never thought of before. He says that when the father divides the inheritance with the younger son, the older son, basically the father gives away everything he has to them. And the younger son goes off, wastes all of his inheritance. The older son stays home and, you know, he's the good boy and he does what he's supposed to do and he keeps his inheritance. And no wonder the uh, elder son is upset when the younger son comes home and the father welcomes him not just back in the
grace to us and for your mercy in our lives. As we come to this table, we recognize that we are completely undeserving of your grace. We come to your We pray that we pour out your blessing on the bread and the cup which we are about to eat and drink. It would be food for our soul and that we would be united in our worship of you, in our love of you, in our love for each other. We pray this through Christ. Amen. The cup and the loaf, you beckon us close to commune. Like fruit on the vine, crushed into wine, you bruise. Broken and torn, crowned with sorn, poured out for
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.